Just a few weeks ago, there was a terrible explosion in the downtown east side of St. Paul. There apparently was a work crew from the local gas company that was doing some work outside the building. And as they were performing their work, the early conclusions seemed to be that a gas line was somehow damaged and the gas began to pour into one of the buildings and accumulate in the basement. Outside that store was a man standing who saw all of this happen. He saw the gas going into the building. He was aware that uh, the building was in terrible danger. He looked up and saw that the apartments above were occupied. This was no deserted building. There was a store on the main floor. People lived up above it. Amazingly, this man instead of running into the building to warn people, decided to go to the other side of the street and he just sat down. He wanted to watch and to see what would happen when this building went up in a terrible explosion of flames. You say, what kind of a man was that? What kind of a man would be willing to sit down in the street while a building was in terrible danger and people's lives were at stake? Well, let me say to you, it was a non-existent man. I've added a little bit to the story. There was no man who did that. But I wanted to talk about what happened and the terrible tragedy it was to illustrate to you this morning that we who are the children of God can sometimes act just like that man that I told you about. Because we know exactly what this world is coming to we know the end of the life of sinners and yet so often we are content to sit in our churches and to worship and to feel good and let the world go to hell. If I were to list this morning the sins which the church needs to repent of, it would probably be long There would be sins of commission, sins of omission. There would be big sins and little sins, public sins and private sins, but few sins on the list would be less common than the sin of silence. And that's the sin I want us to think about this morning in this message of SOS. It is an urgent message, if not for our sake, for the world's sake that we talk about the sin of silence. God is not a God who is speechless. He has spoken. He has spoken in creation, as the verse on our worship folder this morning reminds us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what he has made, so that men are without excuse. God speaks to the world in creation. God speaks to the world in the Bible. The Bible is a unique book in all of the world, as you know. And in the Bible, God speaks to mankind. Ultimately and finally, fully, God has spoken in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And what he has said can result in the salvation of sinners deserving his condemnation. When one has the information that is needed to rescue others from their peril and does nothing with it, that silence is sin. I don't know any other way to describe it but sin. For the church of Jesus Christ to be mute when the world is burning is sin. It is a sin against God and it is a sin against humanity. All of us this morning, including myself, need to repent of this sin and seek to proclaim the message which alone saves people from everlasting ruin and from the fires of hell. Why is it a sin to be silent? I'd like you to open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 10 as we read our text beginning in verse 11. Romans chapter 10 verse 11. For the scripture says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. In the text that we've just read, I want us to notice three reasons why it is a sin for the church of Jesus Christ to be silent when the world is burning and on its way to eternal destruction. Reason number one is because we have been sent to the world. We have been sent to the world. You'll notice in verse 15, he says, How shall they preach, how shall they proclaim, unless they are sent? And then it speaks of beautiful feet. That is, feet are welcome, they are pleasant when they bring good news. Who are the ones called they in verse 15? How shall they preach? Well, there are some who say that's referring to the apostles. And in the most narrow, specific sense, that is certainly true. It is talking about the apostles, of whom Paul was one. If we broaden that out a bit to a typical application today, we would say it's missionaries. This is one of the great missionary texts in all of the New Testament, as you know. How shall they proclaim Christ unless they are sent? And so we send missionaries. But the thing that we have been trying to underwrite in our hearts for the last couple of years is the fact that all of us are missionaries. All of us are included in the they here. We are the they that has been sent by God to the world. 
John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus was praying to the Father. And he said, Father, as thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them. Now once again, he's talking most specifically about that group of disciples who were with him. But he was also talking about all of us who would then become followers of his through their word. Father, as you have sent me, so I have sent them. <clears throat> A few days later, Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. The word send or sent in those verses is the same one that Paul uses in Romans chapter 10. It is a Greek verb, and I'm going to give it to you because you need to hear it. It's the verb apostello. Apostello. And if you listen carefully there, you can hear that word apostle in there. There is a very real sense that although we are not apostles in the sense of that office in the New Testament, we have been apostled by Jesus Christ. We have been sent by Jesus Christ to the world. For us then to be silent when we have been sent is sinful. For the reason that we have been sent is that we might proclaim... And then when we proclaim, others can hear. <clears throat> when they hear, they can believe. And when they believe, they can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. It begins with our being sent. And we have been sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me. He did not shirk his duty. The Father sent him to do what we could never do. He gave his life as a ransom for our sin. Suffered and died on the cross of Calvary. Rose again from the dead on behalf of the sins of the world. But he says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Jesus did not shirk his responsibility. We must not dodge our duty either. Our duty is to go to the world and to proclaim. He said, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. He didn't just send us into the church, into the walls of a building where we could feel good together and worship him together and enjoy one another. He says, I have sent them like you sent me, Father, into the world. The world is out there doesn't mean we don't have ministry within the walls. We do. We have things we need to accomplish here. But God has sent us out there into the world. It is a sin, therefore, for us to be silent. We have been sent to proclaim. Just as God is not speechless, neither is his people to be speechless. Rather, we are called to be a people of witness a remnant with a message of heavenly origin. We must repent of the sin of silence because in the first place, 
we have been sent by God to be witnesses. This week we have that opportunity. I hope you have been busy praying and inviting others to come these days that they might be under the sound of the gospel in a very relevant manner. There are very few people that are not fascinated by science, demonstrations of science. What a marvelous opportunity for us to use this means to bring people under the sound of the gospel. We have been sent, folks, to the world. For us to be silent is sin. There's a second reason why it is a sin to be silent. It is because they need to hear. How can they call and believe unless they hear? They, the they now is those still in the world, they need to hear. They need to hear. Why? Because they're lost. Because they're dead in trespasses and sins. Because they're under the condemnation of God. They need to hear. They need to be saved. That word is used, isn't it? Verse 13. Whoever will call will be saved. The Implication being that those who do not call are still in danger. The word saved means to rescue from danger. The world around us is lost. It is under threat. It is in jeopardy of eternal fires. It is lost and therefore they need to hear. They need to hear. You say, well, they can turn on the radio and hear. But not many of them do. We can't use that as an excuse for getting off our own responsibility. You say, well, they can pick up a paper. They can receive a tract. And yes, God uses all of those, those means. But God wants us personally to be involved in witnessing to our realm of influence. Work, neighborhood, family, etc., they need to hear. Your friends, your neighbors, they need to hear if they're going to be saved. They cannot call upon Christ unless they hear. They need to hear. They are lost. They're dying. Most of us have been saved as children. Or we have been saved so long that we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. That's why it's so refreshing to talk to someone newly saved because they remember. A few weeks ago I sat in a church in Denver and the pastor got up to preach and began weeping. Just before he got up to preach, a lady sang Steve Green's song, People Need the Lord. Most of us sat there and nodded our heads and said, yes, amen, isn't that true? The pastor got up and started weeping at his pulpit. 
And I thought, what's going on? Is there something going on in this church I don't know about? What's he so broken up about? As he began then to gain control and to speak, he was weeping because of the message of that song. And he went on to say, you know, folks, most of you have been saved long enough that you don't remember what it's like to be lost and to have need. He said, I remember. And he's been a believer now for a number of years. He's even been a missionary for some of that time. But he said, I remember what it's like to be lost. I was an adult when I got saved. And I know what it means to be lost and to have no hope. It was a strong message to all of us there. When was the last time I wept, you wept? Because people need to hear, because they're lost. Most of us would sign any doctrinal statement that said we believe in hell. Because the Bible teaches it. But do we really believe it? If we really believed it, would it not cause us to speak more than we do? Could we remain silent if we truly believed our neighbors and our family were on their way to a place of eternal fire? Silence is sinful because they need to hear. If they don't hear, they're never going to believe and be saved. They're lost and on their way to hell. The wonderful news is that if they believe, they will be saved. They can call upon the name of the Lord. You and I have the glorious honor of being able to share with people how they can be saved. How they can come out of that death that they're in. How they can experience hope when they have no hope for the future. How they can know release from guilt that eats away at them inside. Whoever believes in Christ will not be disappointed. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's interesting that these broad statements, whosoever believes, whosoever will call, are found in the midst of three chapters that talk about the sovereignty of God. In Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, the sovereignty of God is exalted. His choice, His election, is declared. But the fact is that God saves none of the elect unless they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unless they call upon the name of the Lord. He saves none of them. Now the assurance is that they will. Our responsibility and privilege is that we get to tell them. Paul was so downcast in the city of Corinth, he he was ready to give up. And the Lord appeared to him in a vision and said, Paul... Be encouraged. I have many people in this city. Now, they hadn't been saved yet. 
Yet the Lord says, I have many people in this city. Paul knew that his responsibility then was to proclaim Christ and God would bring to himself those that he had chosen. Whosoever will call will be saved. Anyone who calls, who believes, will be saved, will not be disappointed. What a wonderful message we can declare. What does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Do you remember back in the book of Acts, when Paul was on trial, he felt himself in danger, he was in a difficult position, and he said, I appeal to Caesar. Remember that? And it got him out of that court and guaranteed that he as a Roman citizen would one day have the opportunity to stand before Caesar in Rome and there to defend himself before the sovereign. That word appeal is the same word as call here. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, Whoever will appeal to the Lord will be saved. That's what it means. When one becomes aware of his sinfulness, of his predicament, of his condemnation before God, and he appeals to Christ, he'll not be disappointed. He'll be saved and rescued from the judgment, though he deserves it. Somebody says, what if they don't listen? My family members, my friends... Our calling is simply to proclaim to them the truth. And to do that in a loving way, a sensitive, tactful way, not being crude or rude, but just telling them the truth. And as we do that, we leave the results to God. We simply seek in the power of the Holy Spirit to tell them the gospel, to proclaim Christ to them. And as we do, we say, Lord I leave the results in your hands. Silence is sinful because we have been sent, because they need to hear, and finally because the Lord is ready to save. We have here a universal offer. It's whoever will believe, whether it's Jew or Gentile, it makes no difference. Whether it's yellow or black or red or white, it makes no difference. Whether they speak English or some foreign tongue, it makes no difference. Whoever will appeal to the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction with God. He is called here the Lord of all. And it says that as the Lord of all, he is abounding in riches... For all who call upon him. Not only is this a universal offer, it's an abundant offer. Abounding in riches. There is no limit to his ability to save. His willingness to forgive. Just as that song said earlier, the love of God. It fills the oceans of the world and then there is more left over. There is no limit to God's love. To God's grace. And whoever will call will be saved. Such a lavish and generous proposition is this. Such a Lord, abundant with riches of grace and forgiveness, deserves.
to be proclaimed. To fail to do it is sinful. The Lord is ready to save. He is not willing that any should perish, are we? He is willing that all should come to repentance. Do we care? Our job is to proclaim this Lord, who is abundant in His grace, in His riches of mercy and forgiveness. He is ready to save, and for us to be silent is sin. The story is told of a terrible storm that struck on Lake Erie in the last century. There was outside of Cleveland a lighthouse that had been erected to guide those steamers safely into port. In addition to the lighthouse, there were also other lights that had been established uh, on a lower level. The lighthouse could direct the ships toward the harbor, but they needed to have other lights lit to direct them through the channel safely into the harbor. So you have this huge lighthouse, and then you have these smaller lights all of which needed to be lit. In the ferocious storm that arose that night on Lake Erie, there were ships trying to make harbor. And the lighthouse indeed was lit. But those who were to light those other lower lights either were unable to get to them or failed to do so out of fear because of the storm. And as a result of that, ships were able to see the harbor and trying to make the harbor, in several cases, went on the rocks. And many, many lives were lost in that terrible storm. The news of that becoming well-known Philip Bliss saw the obvious spiritual application. Philip Bliss wrote hundreds of hymns, gospel songs. He is the one who did the music for, um, what's the one I'm trying to think of? Very well known. What is it? It is well with my soul. He did the music for that, not the words. But this particular hymn, he did both the words and the music. It's not in our hymnal any longer, but some of you will recognize it. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from his lighthouse evermore. But to us, he gives, he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Dark the night of sin has settled. Loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother. Some poor sailor, tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness, may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning 
Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the lighthouse. You and I are the ones responsible for the lower lights. And for us not to have those lights burning brightly so that those still lost in the stormy night of sin can make the harbor is sinful. Silence is sinful. God, help us to open our hearts and to open our mouths to share Jesus. It's urgent. It's urgent. Let's pray. Father, may we repent. May we simply not listen and go our way, but may we first repent of the sin of silence. For too often have we allowed ourselves to pass opportunities, to ignore them, and to permit our friends, our family, our co-workers to go on in their lostness when we have the answer. May that repentance work a deep change within our lives so that we will not be the silent one any longer. In Jesus' name, amen. If only 
freshman was looked upon with friendship by a junior. That's unusual. His name was Ron. And one of the ways he showed me friendship was to invite me to sit in his car during the noon hour. Now that seems small to you, I know, but that was a big thing back then. I could sit out in his car and we chatted and others would sit in the car, but I was a freshman. He was a junior. I was a Christian, Ron was not. We parted that summer. He had his responsibilities. I had mine. I remember very well the night before school was to begin again that fall, someone coming into church and saying to me, Did you hear that Ron Flory drowned this afternoon? And the very first thing that went through my heart was an arrow of conviction that as many times as I had sat with Ron and talked with him, not once had I ever mentioned Jesus to him. Not once. I remember Claire's son-in-law, who's a policeman in Wisconsin, told me a story of an accident now maybe a year, year and a half ago, and I shared it with you at that time. He was called to a terrible accident outside of Black River Falls and rushed there, first one on the scene. Here's a car on its top. It had turned over. A person is trapped inside. Someone is laying out on the grass. That person is alive. He ran to the car, 
where someone was still inside. He climbed in, being on the roof, of course. The young man was, was hanging there, trapped. And uh, he said, are you all right? And the young man looked at him and said, I'm dying, and I don't know where I'm going. And died. He was gone. I hope this morning that the point of conviction that we might feel regarding being silent will be turned around to an impetus, to a motivation for speaking and telling about Jesus. Because they need to hear, we've been sent, our Lord is ready to save, we have our job to do. Let's be about it this week and every day. Would you stand with me please? And now, Father, with these convicting thoughts on our hearts, and I trust that by the Spirit, a renewed motivation to witness and to invite and to tell, may we go from here. And I pray that as we go, the Holy Spirit will keep fresh what he has said in this hour to us, and produce the kind of change that would be pleasing to you where that's needed. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.